0: Hello scholars, this is the professor speaking, and I welcome you to Hi, That's Scary, a podcast that utilizes cannabis to analyze horror cinema. The title of today's lecture is Soft Boys and Strong Girls, The Ways Co-Opting Gender Stereotypes Saved Christmas, Part 2. Today we are returning to our discussion of gremlins. If you have not listened to Soft Boys and Strong Girls, The Ways Co-Opting Gender Stereotypes Saved Christmas, Part 1... Please pause and do so before you continue. Last lecture, we finished on Billy and Pete in Billy's room after Gizmo had been splashed with water and multiplied. Five Mogwai emerged from Gizmo, the most important being a particularly aggressive one named Stripe, on account of him having a stripe of white fur… hair… fur… on his head. After the multiplication, Billy goes to speak with his father. Rand is working on his inventions when Billy goes to talk to him. They spend a little time on showing yet another malfunctioning peltzer item. Once Rand actually starts focusing on his son and not his homemade garbage, Billy tells him about the new mogwai. When Rand sees them, he automatically starts thinking money. He wants to sell them, make more. Now remember, water makes them multiply. That process... It's painful. Gizmo was crying and yelling through the process. It's like giving birth, because it is giving birth. So Rand wants to forcibly breed these creatures for his own monetary gain. He doesn't know anything about them, only the barest of minimums, yet he wants to be the one to sell them. We proceed to see the beginnings of why exactly that is a bad idea. Due to him annoying them, the Mogwai took Billy's dog and tied him up with Christmas lights, and shoved him down a laundry chute. Billy finds him and gets him free from the bindings. It's the next day, when Billy goes to the kitchen and attempts to make himself coffee. Cue the machine not working, because it's yet another Peltzer invention. Billy takes one of the Mogwai to his old high school science teacher, Mr. Henson. Mr. Henson is the only black person in this movie. I wonder what's gonna happen to him. Billy shows him how the multiplication works. Billy then leaves the Mogwai with him, but doesn't tell him the rules. This will come back to bite them. After leaving Mr. Henson, Billy and Kate are seen at Dory's. Mr. Futterman is there, and he's very drunk. Kate and Billy walk him out to his vehicle, which is actually a piece of construction equipment. They call it a snowplow later, but it looks like one of the Bob the Builder machines. Billy is mostly silent through this and observes Kate calmly and tactfully convince Futterman to not drive. During this, Futterman is murmuring about the Germans putting gremlins, recording devices, in their products. Kate humors him during this and that is ultimately what helps her convince him to exit the heavy machinery. Kate's empathy for others combined with her clear intelligence makes her such a great character, as well as potential love interest. Kate not only cares about other people, she does things to show she cares. Billy recognizes this and admires her for it. While they walk home together, Billy compliments her on doing it, considering many people would have gotten annoyed with Futterman's drunken ramblings. Kate explains that Futterman lost his job and has been having a hard time. She gives him a bit of extra leeway because of this. Billy, in the next moment, really shows how privileged he is. He says that he hadn't realized that people could still be sad at Christmas. He hadn't had the hardships that make the holiday hard for some people. Kate mentions that she doesn't celebrate Christmas, and Billy is shocked. He starts to pry as to why, and Kate looks visibly uncomfortable. When he keeps going, she calls out how people who don't celebrate Christmas are vilified, while people are allowed to dislike other holidays without the same opposition. Billy, realizing how he was being rude, apologizes. Kate does, too, for losing her temper. She doesn't necessarily apologize for what she said, but more so how she said it. This scene gives a really nice example as to how to show conflict and proper resolution skills. They both realize very quickly how they both contributed to the situation and took accountability. Billy apologizing first is another important thing. Having the man apologize first for his behavior instead of the woman is still something that gets botched nowadays. This mutual apology shows mutual respect. So when after they apologize, Billy asks Kate out, the outcome is good. Kate says yes. Billy gets really hype over Kate saying yes and he has this dopey smile on. It's ridiculously cute. Back at the science lab, Mr. Henson is collecting data on the Mogwai. In order to run some tests, he needs to take a blood sample. This is the moment that forced me to hate Mr. Henson which made me a bit salty, scholars. I should not be forced to dislike the only Black character. Now, you must be asking, well, why is him taking a blood sample so bad? It's not. Blood samples are important. The way in which he took the blood sample is what I take major issue with. Mogwai are small. I think smaller than the average human baby, but I do not know for sure because I do not keep babies handy for units of measure. You'd think that Mr. Henson would use a butterfly needle, one of those teeny tiny needles they use for babies. He does not. Instead, Henson uses a giant needle, one that is easily the length of the mogwai's arm. To put this in perspective, imagine a needle the size of a reusable straw and the length of your forearm getting shoved into your arm unexpectedly and then having a bunch of your blood pulled out into the syringe. This was cruel and unnecessary. Later that night, Mr. Henson leaves the lab, his sandwich abandoned on the table within reach of the cage Mogwai. The clock reads 2.20 a.m. The Mogwai takes the sandwich. In between Mr. Henson's unethical treatment of animals and the Mogwai having a snack, Billy is in bed. Gizmo is calmly reading a comic, while his fellow Mogwai loudly chitter and bounce around in their box. Billy gets irritated by the hyperactivity and realizes they want food. When he checks the clock, it reads 1137, which is not past midnight, but still pretty damn close. Billy is a cinnamon bun, and utterly precious, but sometimes this boy is dumber than a box of hammers. (sighs) Billy grabs a big plate of fried chicken to feed the creatures. I just want to say that despite apparent money troubles, Billy doesn't hesitate giving these five mogwai enough chicken that could easily be dinner and possibly lunch for the humans that ties back to Billy's privilege and lack of perspective. He doesn't see an issue with giving a family bucket of KFC to animals, especially when he was already being reckless with the perceived closeness of time to midnight. The Mogwai chow down on the chicken, and it's really gross and sticky for some reason. Billy offers Gizmo a piece of chicken, which he politely refuses. Gizmo's a good boy. While Billy is feeding the Mogwai, his clock can be seen in the background. It reads, 11.37. Billy awakens the next morning, surrounded by these gooey green pods. He's confused. His mother comes upstairs, and they discuss the pods. Lynn asking if he broke any rules. Billy denies feeding them after midnight, but then discovers that his clock still reads, 11.37. The cord had been chewed through. Billy turns to his mother and asks what's going on like Lin would know. Like I said, not bright. Billy and Pete head to Mr. Henson. His Mogwai is also in a gooey green pod. Mr. Henson explains that the Mogwai are in the pupil stage. The Mogwai are basically in a chrysalis, which means Mogwai are the caterpillars. Wonder what their butterfly form is. Billy leaves for work while Pete stays behind for Mr. Henson's class. Mr. Henson puts on a movie. While sitting in the dark, quietly, the pod opens. Mr. Henson looks over to see the cage pod busted open, no creature in sight. Class dismisses and Pete attempts to talk with Mr. Henson. Mr. Henson just rushes Pete out so he can deal with the escaped animal. He first makes a call to Billy, telling him it's hatched. Mr. Henson hears some chittering and realizes the creature is hiding under his desk. He attempts to bribe it with candy to come out, bringing up the needle incident and actually pulling a You not still mad about that thing I did, right? So scholars, did I feel bad when his fingers got bitten on? No, no I did not. Forever will be salty that they made the black science teacher a first and justifiable kill. While Mr. Henson's class was still taking place, Billy was at work. Just like before, Mrs. Deagle comes in and cuts the entire line to make Billy help her. As he attempts to fill out a deposit slip for her, she taunts him, graphically threatening his dog. Billy messes up on the slip because he's understandably shaken. Deagle smirks at her ability to spit out venom. It is then that Billy gets the call from Henson and leaves work. I don't know how Billy hasn't gotten fired yet. He makes his way to Henson's classroom. He starts calling for him before he sees it. Mr. Henson, lying on the floor, throat open and exposed. Horrified, Billy scrambles away, notifying the creature that then scratches Billy in retaliation. The creature is scaly, green, skinny little thing. It almost looks like a crossbreed with a small monkey and an alligator. It eats glass and then escapes through the vents. Billy starts to leave when it pops out at him, surprising seemingly both of them. The creature runs away. At Billy's house, Lynn is downstairs making and decorating cookies. She's not good at it. You can tell the actress was struggling with the icing tip. Meanwhile, there's all these pretty cookies around. Upstairs, the creatures hatch. Lynn hears something and goes upstairs to Billy's room. She discovers the open pods. With impeccable timing, Billy calls from the school. He urges his mom to get out of the house. A creature spots the phone cord and pulls it, severing the line. Billy frantically calls out for his mother before running out of the building. Lynn, meanwhile, is already scared. She hears the creatures put on Christmas music. The look on her face, scholars, it's hilarious. I had to pause. I was chortling. It's the perfect combination of shook and annoyed. Her eyes are bugging out a little bit, and her face is neutral, but like mom-neutral. The mom-face where they're hiding how pissed they are in public and calmly tell her you to stop your shit. And I am 24 years old, scholars. And that face... Seeing that face in the grocery store in the before times still made me feel like I was in trouble. So seeing it mixed with unmistakable fear? It's kind of funny. <laughs> Lynn was smart when she went upstairs. She already has a knife. She creeps downstairs... And when she approaches the kitchen, a glass is thrown at her. Now she's big mad. There are creatures in her kitchen eating her cookies and wreaking general havoc. One of the creatures is messing around one of Rand's inventions that has a blending function. Lin, half hiding behind a wall, waits until the creature is partially in the bowl to turn on the machine. Green goo splatters about. Lin comes out from her coverage only for another creature to start throwing plates at her. Acting fast, Lynn picks up a TV tray table and uses it as a shield. The creature continues throwing plates. Lynn stabs at it a few times when she gets close enough. She screams at it to get out of her kitchen. She's establishing dominance over her domain. She's hit in the back with a sheet pan, and she's pissed. I would be too, that shit looked like it hurt. Lynn grabs cooking spray and sprays it in the creature's face, forcing it into the microwave. Lynn turns on the machine and the creature starts to cook. It explodes. Lynn stayed and watched to make sure it was dead. Lynn Peltzer is metal as fuck, and now it makes complete sense why Billy takes so strongly to Kate. His mother is headstrong, resourceful, and kind. Billy wants these traits in a partner because they're good traits to have. He's grown up with this stunning example of an independent woman. Of course he likes Kate. Lynn hears yet another creature, and this time she legit rolls her eyes. She's so over it. I love her. The creature hides in the Christmas tree and jumps at her. The weight of the tree knocks Lynn to the floor. The creature begins to strangle her. Billy comes home right in time and knocks the creature into the fireplace. After making sure his mother is okay, Billy searches for and finds Gizmo. He's so tender with Giz, who's obviously frightened. Billy puts Gizmo in his backpack and heads out to find the rest of the creatures. Billy and Giz make their way to the YMCA, where Stripe has broken in. As Billy wanders inside toward the pool, Stripe jumps out, scratches him, and jumps into the pool. The water begins to bubble. Billy runs out of the YMCA to the police. He tells them what's going on, and they, of course, do not believe him. Eventually, they start receiving phone calls about strange occurrences. Again, Billy tries to get them to listen. They still don't. While Billy is trying to convince the police there's a problem, a horde of gremlins march the street of Kingston Falls. Futterman is home watching TV when the creatures start playing with the antenna on his roof. He complains to his wife about their owning a foreign TV. He goes to check on what's wrong when the creatures crash into his house with his heavy machinery. Futterman refers to him as gremlins as he and his wife are chased with a snowplow. The creatures cause chaos all over town. They're attacking people and breaking things. They eventually target Mrs. Deagle. Deagle has one of those stair chair things... Her cats are all named after money. She hears noise outside and, assuming it's carolers, goes to throw water on them, in the freezing cold, when they were just caroling. But there are no carolers. Instead, there are gremlins. She's scared now. Good. She goes to her stair chair to try to escape. The gremlins have messed with the wiring. Mrs. Deagle's chair moves at a high speed and eventually flies off the rails, sending Mrs. Deagle out the window to her death. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The cops pull up to see the gremlins attacking people and running around. They see Mrs. Deagle's body. They collectively decide to, instead of doing their jobs, drive back to the station. Inept law enforcement strikes again. They're literally the police, they have guns. But no, they decided protect and serve only means for themselves and not the public. They're so focused on saving their own skin that they won't help these people that are being attacked. So not only do they try to get free shit just because they happen to choose this profession, they won't do their damn jobs and protect their community from an invading force. Fucking cowards. Billy, a civilian, is doing more to try to help the town than the damn cops who get paid a salary to do so. Gremlins said defund the police. The Gremlins have taken over the town. While the radio host was reporting, they broke into the station, alerting whoever was listening of the Gremlins. They have also congregated at Dory's Pub. Kate is doing her best to serve them. She's doing her damnest to keep a level head, not get hurt and still be a good waitress. The Gremlins are gross and messy. They gamble. One is shooting a gun periodically. One plays some smooth jazz. They're all engaged in general fuckery. Kate is eventually able to grab a camera after realizing the light disorients them. She triggers the flash multiple times, allowing her the chance to escape. She narrowly avoids getting shot when Billy comes, utilizing his headlights to ward off the gremlins. The car, unfortunately, won't start after that, so the trio make a break for the bank. On the way, a gremlin pops out of a car trunk as Billy and Kate are running past. Kate slams the trunk closed. They manage to get to the bank and hide inside. Kate is upset. She bitterly laughs about having another reason to hate Christmas. Billy, being the person he is, asks her what she's talking about. Kate reveals her tragic backstory. When she was nine years old on Christmas Eve, her father put on a Santa costume and tried to climb down the chimney. He slipped, broke his neck, died instantly, but was stuck there. His family didn't know what happened for days, until, that is, Kate tried to light a fire. She noticed a smell. They expected... An animal had died, but soon discovered it wasn't. And this is how Kate found out there's no Santa. When Kate began her story, Billy was still looking around the bank, which the gremlins had clearly trashed. When she starts mentioning her father, he stops and gives her his undivided attention. He's actively listening, and you can tell he feels horrible for being such a Christmas head and not understanding her feelings. Even Gizmo is listening and understanding Kate's pain. It's a beautiful display of empathy, especially when Kate isn't very emotional as she tells the story. She's crying, but her voice doesn't waver, it's only a bit pinched. She's used to holding back and forcing herself to keep her emotions in check when discussing things that distress her. The trio decide to leave the bank. They pass the movie theater and see all the gremlins have gathered there to watch Snow White. In the theater, they're engaged in more fuckery. Stripe eventually leaves for a nearby store to get candy. Billy and Kate sneak into the theater. Billy opens several gas valves and lights a fire. They start to creep out, but are soon discovered by the gremlins. They manage to get to the door and close it. Kate holds the door closed while Billy jams it. They run away and the theater explodes. The gremlins are cooked. Billy and Kate see Stripe in the shop window. They break in. They break in, Billy smashing the window glass and helping Kate inside. And then, scholars, we have it. What we're all rooting for since this movie started. Billy and Kate kiss. To this day, I am still always so freaking hype. When they finally kiss, I will go down with this ship. Billy separates from Kate and Gizmo in search of Stripe. Kate goes in search of a fuse box or light switch of some kind. It becomes apparent very quickly that Billy can't fight for shit. He essentially uses himself as bait. He never attacks Stripe. All of this battle they got going is Billy acting in self-defense. He's pelted with balls. He's shot with an arrow. He throws a boombox, but once again, fending off the gremlin rather than in pursuit of it. Stripe gets a chainsaw and goes in pursuit of Billy. Billy quickly grabs a bat to hold off the weapon. During this whole rampage, Rand Peltzer had been on his way home from a convention. He would periodically appear, attempting to call home to no answer. He at least had the sense to head home when no one was answering his calls. He pulls up into town and sees the destruction. Over the radio, the DJ mentions the fire department has hoses ready. That's not good, but it's never revisited again so we have to assume the gremlins died before meeting Splash Mountain. Rand eventually stops the car when he sees Billy's dog. While Billy's bat slowly gets whittled down, Gizmo gets in a Barbie car and starts to drive to Billy. The wood on Billy's bat is growing dangerously low. Kate finds the lights and turns them on. The shocks and stripe flying into the garden center. Billy follows Stripe, without a weapon. He's still using himself as bait. Stripe is on top of a fountain and taunts Billy. His back begins to bubble and he cackles. Gizmo arrives and shoots out of his little car. He manages to get to the shutters and opens them. The sunlight hits Stripe and he slowly turns to goo. Rand comes into the store and finds Billy. Kate wraps Gizmo up in some cloth to protect him from the sun. Stripe does a final scare before disintegrating. Back in the Pelzer home, the five of them are gathered around the TV. The news is blaming mass hysteria for the destruction. Kate cradles Gizmo. Billy and his mother are bandaged up. Lynn goes to make soup for Gizmo. She turns and runs into the old man from the beginning. He's there for Giz. He returns Rand's money and scolds them for letting Gizmo watch TV, then asking for his box. Billy is upset his baby's being taken. Gizmo speaks to the old man, who understands the Mogwai. Billy is surprised, and the old man tells him he just needs to listen. Gizmo pops out of the box to tell Billy goodbye. The old man then tells Billy he may not be ready for the responsibility now, but one day he might be. Rand gives the old man a smokeless ashtray as a way to say sorry, which he humbly accepts. As he walks off with Gizmo, Rand can be heard via voiceover warning people to check their house for gremlins if they hear or see something strange going on. Now wasn't that a holly jolly treat? Let's dive into our conclusions, scholars. Rand is massively irresponsible. He purchased the Mogwai from a child when it was not for sale, essentially stealing He doesn't ask questions about it. He just gives it to his son and then fucks off to try to sell his shitty inventions. A hobby which his family is supporting. Not just by using the inventions, but by Billy's contribution to the household. It's clear Billy's salary is important. So Rand doing all this, plus the fact that he dropped a ton of money on Gizmo, makes him just so unlikable. And that's saying something, because there are already... Overly unlikable characters, like the police or Miss Deagle, but Rand's complete incompetence is just killer. Billy apparently inherited some of his father's smarts, but he's not completely without hope because of Lynn. Lynn, who's balancing a household, keeping up the Christmas spirit, dealing with Deagle, who thinks on her feet and cares about her loved ones so deeply that even though she has such little screen time, it's blatantly apparent. Lynn pelts her who fought off several gremlins all on her own to defend her kitchen. Lynn does not get the credit she deserves. Rand gets too much. Billy's a soft boy. I say this to mean he's tender, kind, sweet. He's affectionate, especially with Gizmo. He's easily flustered around Kate. Hell, the sun shines out of Kate's ass according to how Billy looks and interacts with her. He's an active listener. He takes accountability. Billy is also not a fighter. Throughout the entire interactions with the gremlins, Billy is largely trying to act as a shield. He won't strike first, won't get his hands directly dirty. The most damaging thing he did was set up the theater to blow up. But remember, he jammed the door to hold the creatures in the theater. He wasn't the one holding the door closed. While fighting with Stripe, he never advanced on him, he was always moving away. He knows he's not going to win in a fight, he's scared. So he does the next best thing, he becomes a distraction. He's not the type to take charge. He's smart and comes up with plans, but he isn't a leader. He and Kate are a team. They're great for each other. Kate is a strong girl. I say this to mean she's smart resilient, and compassionate. She is bold, speaking her mind and rarely holding back. She clearly likes Billy and is, in my opinion, fairly forward about it. She constantly approaches him. She's genuinely interested in this actual precious being. She isn't afraid to communicate how she's feeling. Kate is a fighter. She's got fire. And spirit. She is the sword to Billy's shield. She can think on a dime and protect herself and others. She's strong. She held the door that was being pounded on by hundreds of gremlins. Kate's actions, looking for the lights, are what caused direct damage, not Billy turning himself into a target. She's Billy's partner, not just his girlfriend. And in horror, I think it's important to make that distinction. Kate is strong, and Billy is soft, and together they balance each other out. They respect each other. They speak honestly with each other. They're both kind and caring. They both just want to be bright spots in the darkness in a town riddled with people with financial woes. And they are. They shine so brightly they found each other. And by being so different from their expected roles as a man and a woman in a horror film, they save Christmas. That's all I have for you today, scholars. For those that celebrate, Merry Christmas, a late happy Hanukkah to any Jewish scholars, a happy Kwanzaa for tomorrow, and a happy new year to all of you. It's been a hell of a year, but we're glad to have spent some of it with you. We're going to be taking a brief hiatus for the holidays. We will be returning January 26th, 2021. Until then, stay scary.